Now, I love that. Um, <laughs> she said it three times. She said, uh, he's given me a new heart. Um, and I, that, that's not accidental. My notes are way over here. That's not accidental. I mean, so that means that, that uh, like Christine, I'm like, speaking this into the gray and explaining that this isn't just um, behavior modification. It's heart modification, right? There's a, there's a big difference between behavior modification and, and, and heart mod- modification. Uh, for those of us who are parents in the room, or if you grew up with parents, you know that parents um, start out the day with a lot of intentionality, and then their battery slowly drains as the day wears on, and then by the end of it, you're like, you know what, we just got to run the clock out. We just gotta, we just gotta make it through. So like my family, like as a parent, as a dad, I'm like, all right, we're going to do heart modification today. We're going to talk about heart issues. I'm not just going to try to make you be a normal human being. Okay. Like I'm going to, we're going to go for heart stuff. And so you start out with things like, all right, let's be respectful. Okay. We're going to talk about respectfulness. We're going to talk about loving other people, like the way that, that you love yourself. And hey, so are you loving your sister the way that you love yourself right now? Absolutely not. Right? And so we're talking about the, the heart issue, not just the behavior. And then the day goes on and it gets to be about seven. And you know what? We're just going to play the silent game until morning, okay? Silent game till morning, and it's going to be all right. And so we, we have a lot of intentionality, I think, to do uh, heart level work. So if you're an adult, uh, regardless of the kids, you have intentionality about doing heart-level work in yourself, like allowing the Lord to do some heart-level work. And then sometimes, if we're not careful, we just slip over toward behavior modification, and we just try to at least make it look like we got the heart change. Sometimes the motivation is not ever necessarily there. I don't think the Lord is interested in behavior modification. Um, over and over again, as we're, we're preaching to the book of Luke, over and over again, as you get these points with Jesus where he just very clearly is frustrated with people who are modifying their behavior, but their heart doesn't reflect that. There's just a, a vast difference between changing the way we act and looking a certain way and then having our, our, our lives, our soul, being actually changed. We see this a lot in culture. Uh, you see it a lot where um, culture has this, this thing where we want to see people and expect to see people acting the right way. You see a lot of frustration in our culture when somebody is not acting the way that somebody else thinks they should or are speaking the way or doing the things or not doing the things that they expect them to do. If, if you're kind of crossing the lines, if you're breaking the rules that somebody else has set in culture, they're really frustrated with you that you're not acting right. We don't hear a lot anymore in culture is about the motivation for that. And so I think a lot of times what we end, are ended up with is a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation to do the right things, behave the way that somebody tells us we're supposed to, and if we can get that behavior right, that's enough. I don't think that's enough. As we start coming into Scripture, if we're not, not talking about parenting or anything, but like just as we come into Scripture, we see this frustration with the Lord with behavior modification. So listen, is, is, is following Jesus about acting right or about something deeper. So if you're a believer in the room, you come in with a kind of a preconditioned response to that, right? Like it's not just about acting right. You want to see something deeper happening. So how do we get there? And what is that supposed to look like? What do we have to let go of? What do we have to grasp onto to move forward in Jesus? So last week we, uh, we studied the previous passage in Matthew, Luke chapter 5. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 33. But last week we looked at the passage right before that. All right, and it's the story of uh, the calling of Levi, and, and Jesus meets this guy. Levi is a tax collector. He's in his booth, and Jesus looks at him, locks eyes with him, and says, follow me. 
And Levi gets up, leaves, leaves the tax booth, leaves it all behind, and actually goes and does it. Then he throws a big old party for pretty much everybody he knows, which just happens to be a bunch of other tax collectors, the other despised people uh, in, in, the, in the area, right? And so there are all these sinful, broken people are gathered together, and there's ought to be the religious people. So the religious people show up. They're frustrated that Jesus and his disciples would dare hang out with all these sinners, right? They're frustrated with him. And Jesus responds, and he's like, listen, man, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick haven't come to call these self-righteous, right? But I've, I've come to call sinners to repentance. Kind of shuts them down, but they're still not satisfied. The very next verse where we start this week, they continue their frustration with Jesus for not acting religiously enough. Verse 33 says this. It says, they said to him, the disciples of John, they fast often. They offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, you guys are just eating and drinking, right? There's this, this uh, indictment that the Pharisees are leveling against Jesus and his disciples, saying everybody else acts really holy, like they act real righteous and religious. They're doing these things. They're, they're behaving in these certain ways, and you guys just out here having a party, just having a good time, right? Like, there's a frustration there. They think that it's wrong of Jesus and his followers to be at such an event. Like their, their comment basically is saying, like, if you were actually godly, if you were really godly, then you'd be doing something more godly. You'd be acting more righteously. The Pharisees uh, were people who did a lot of religious things. So if you've been around church for a while, you know this, but they did a lot of religious stuff. They, they, they talk about prayer and fasting and their, their comment right here, but it's not just prayer and fasting for them. There was this almost endless list of behaviors, things to do and things not to do, that if you would follow these rules correct, correctly and, and conscientiously enough, then there was a favor to be found with God. And more importantly, favor to be found with other people. That if you followed our rules, got it nailed down, did it right, then they were at least happy with you. You weren't going to get roasted by the Pharisees because you, if you were following their, their rules. The Pharisees created rules upon rules, rules more strict than God's law. They, they created law about following law, which is impressive. Uh, and they piously followed it. They actually did this stuff. They, they worked really hard, um, and they had, that's what their community was built to do, was to elevate law-keeping, and they helped each other do that. They backed each other up and created a setting and a culture and an environment, a community where, um, where law was kept well, where people act really righteously, and they looked like they had it all together. That's called legalism. It's, 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 it's behaving correctly, and if you do that, you're good. It doesn't necessarily matter what the motivation behind it is. And we can build communities. We can build churches where legalism is the goal of that. And we can support each other and encourage each other and hold each other accountable to doing and acting a lot of certain specific ways. And if we can get that done, then it'll look like we've got it all together. But if the heart transformation is not happening, it's all for nothing. I meet people a lot. Like I, one of my favorite things to do in getting to do what I do, one of the greatest blessings of it is getting to sit down with people one-on-one. -on -one. And you just get sit down, have a cup of coffee. Like, if you want to get coffee, I'm out of town this week. But next week, like, I'd love to get coffee with you. We'll hang out. It'll be great. All right? And so, like, I just love getting to do that and getting to hear people's stories and their backstory and how they got to where they are. And a lot of times, I meet people who kind of come out of a setting a lot like this. They don't, they're not called Pharisees, but they came out of a setting, a community where rule-keeping was elevated above heart change. 
And, and what's sad about it is I, I get these, I, like, tell me about your relationship with the Lord, like how's that going? And, and, and I, I'll get these uh, eyes that drop. And so we're looking at each other, we're having a good time, we're talking about whatever that we're into, but as soon as you start talking about something about the Lord, like there's this, like this cloud that washes over them, their eyes drop, and there's this shame in their voices, they kind of have to like admit to me that there's some things that they probably should be doing that they're not doing. Well, I know I should be spending more time doing this or that, and I'm, I just, I'm not, and, and there's some shame about the things that they're not supposed to be doing that they are. And, I, you know, I've been kind of, you know, I'm doing this, you know. And then, then it follows with a response of, but I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try harder. I'm going to get back on it. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bootstrap this thing. No, you're not. There's this exhaustion I can feel in people sometimes when we sit down and have a conversation and that all they know to talk about in relation to the Lord is the things that they're, the things they're doing wrong they feel bad about and the things that they're doing right they're not doing enough of, so they still feel about, about that, about, bad about that. And there's this, this weight on them. Does that sound familiar at all? And Jesus is out here having a good time with some people. Like he's like, I don't know. I just want to be with people. I just want to talk about the Lord. Like, I, I, just, I just want to see people come to know and follow me. Like, I, there's, there's no legalism in him. And there's these really re- religious, holy people. They got robes and tassels and the whole deal, right? And they're over here judging Jesus for being with sinners. Really frustrated that Jesus is not looking more religious. Do you get frustrated with yourself for not looking more religious? Do you get frustrated with other people around you for not looking more religious? See, somebody told the people that I'm talking about sitting across the table from, somebody, somebody told them or somebody, somehow they got it in their mind somewhere down the line that being a Christian meant acting religious. And the weight, the burden of that is just crushing. There's no joy in that. There's no freedom in that. There's no, there's no, there's no life in that. You're always going to fall short of that standard. It's not going to work. So the Pharisees, these really religious people, they show up. They're shocked. They're incensed to see that Jesus is not looking very religious. This is how Jesus responds. Verse 34. I imagine him smiling, like big saying this. All right. And so Jesus says to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? It's like the days are going to come when the bridegroom is going to be taken away from them. They'll fast then. He just leaves it at that. I love this line. Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? No. Like, have you ever been to a wedding? Like, I mean, no. I mean, that's it. there's an intent. There's supposed to be a celebration there. It is wrong of you to not be a part of the celebration. If you go to a wedding and you're like Debbie Downer over here and like you're like moping in a corner, you are doing it wrong. Like, that's not the way this is supposed to happen. So legalism says act religiously. Follow the rules. Jesus is talking about your relationship to the bridegroom. So, so legalism says act religious, religiously. Jesus invites people to respond to a relationship. That's it. It's like, I know you've got this big mass of rules you feel like you're supposed to follow. He's like, listen, you're just supposed to respond to the fact that the groom's here. You're supposed to relate to me in like the sense that I'm, I'm here. Like, respond to the relationship. It's not about following the rules. These people are just worried about acting godly. Jesus speaks to the motivation behind their actions and uses this illustration of a wedding. Weddings are so much fun. Like, I don't know the last time you got to go to a wedding, but if you go to a good wedding, like there's, there's not a lot of things that are more fun than that, especially if you don't have to be in it, you know? 
You got to be in the wedding all the time. It's not that much fun. You got to like buy the dress. You got to like rent the tux and do all the thing. And you stand there and take pictures for six hours. That's not that much fun. But if you get invited to a really good wedding and you don't have to be in the thing, like think about this. You get to go get dressed up and go to some like giant party where somebody has to feed you actually good food. Like if they give you sorry food, they feel bad about that, you know, and you don't pay for any of it. Isn't that amazing? Like, this isn't like you went to an all-inclusive resort and they have to take care of you and you get to, like, you pay for that. Like, you get to have a moment of, like, all-inclusive resort life with all a bunch of people that are all have to be happy, (laughs) or at least act like it, right? The food's free. Like, everything's great. Like, it's just this wonderful time. Like, you're, and usually, you actually like the people that you're celebrating, Right? Every once in a while, you're like, I don't know about that guy, but she's great, you know? At least half the people that you're celebrating, you're into. I mean, you're, you're here for it. It's a really joyful time. And so you come to these, if you've ever been in a really good wedding where you at least like the bride, you know, there, you're, it's, there's, <laughs> there's a joy there. It's authentic. You're not faking it. You're not having to act. You're, you're actually enjoying the moment. You get to enjoy being with them and celebrating them and responding to them. And, and there's this, this bounty, this goodness about getting to be a part of that celebration. He's like, that's what this is supposed to feel like, you guys. Jesus like, lines up people being around him. He's invited to Levi to follow him. Levi's found all of his friends. They're packing in there. And he's like, this is supposed to feel like, like the wedding. Where the, 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 the groom has come, he's meeting the bride, the church is called the bride. Like, it, this is, there's supposed to be a celebration like the best wedding you've ever been to. Like, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Jewish weddings were even better than ours, all right? These things lasted a week. Just a week-long party. Getting to be with your family, getting to celebrate, getting to just experience the goodness of, of relationship and the goodness of the Lord. It was a time of joy. It is inappropriate to be joyless at a wedding, Right? That person needs to leave. You just shouldn't have come. You know, if you're, not happy, like, if you're not happy to be there or something, like you just shouldn't be a part of it. It's inappropriate to be joyless at a wedding. Like it's, it's rude to not eat the cake, right? Like I don't care what kind of diet you're on or whatever. If you go to a wedding and they're like, hey, we're cutting the cake, there's something in you that's like, you know what? I think it would be wrong of me not to eat this cake. And it is. It is wrong of you not to eat the cake. Eat the cake, man. Like, and then you go judge the groom's cake because it always kind of, it's not nearly as good. Like, it's just got that buttercream icing on it. If you get a wedding cake with that buttercream, not that fondant mess, but like that legit buttercream icing, it's a little bit of heaven. It's a little bit of heaven. All right? I'm just telling you all of you how you should plan your weddings. All these college students, I got you. I'll tell you what kind of icing you should have. That's how many weddings I've been to, okay? So Jesus says, can you make wedding guests fast? Can you make them mourn? Can you make them joyless like, like while the bridegroom is with them? No. Jesus says, listen, I'm the groom. I'm here to save. I'm here to restore. Like this is a time to rejoice and to celebrate. These people like, had, that, had Levi and others, like they're finding hope in, in him. For us as Christians, if you're a Christian in the room, like for us as a church, like we're people who have found hope and purpose and freedom in Christ. So we should be celebrating him, responding to him delighting in him, glad because of him. There's supposed to be a joy and a celebration of that. It's inappropriate to, for us to go around uh, under any other kind of weight. We've, been, we've found the light. We've been given new life. We're loved by the king. We've found our heart's greatest treasure. 
How are we supposed to respond to that? How is it supposed to feel? We're not just trying to act religiously. We're supposed to be like the guy in Matthew 13, 44, which says, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which man found and then didn't want his neighbor to see it, so he covered it back up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything else. It's like sells everything else. I mean, the cars, the house, everything sells everything else and goes and buys this field so he can have this treasure. That's who we are. We're the people who have sold everything else gladly, excitedly, as fast as we can, selling everything else so we can go and have him. Jesus looks around his followers and, and he says, listen, they're not out here going through the motions. They're not trying to act religiously. That's fine if you think that they should act some different kind of ways or whatever, but that's not the motivation here. They're responding to me. He goes on, he says, there's, there's coming a day when he'd be taken away from them, right? So it says in 35, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they'll fast in those days. He's talking about the, bride, the, the groom being taken away. He's, he's, he's talking about his death. Why else would there be fasting and mourning immediately after a wedding? So Jesus is explaining like his death as, as the groom being murdered right after the wedding. That's the gut wrench. That's how this is supposed to feel. It's like, there's going to come a time of mourning. I'm not going to tell you what it is quite yet in the passage, right? But this is coming. There's going to be a time for heartbreak. There's going to be a time for, for mourning. It gives us a glimpse into how crushing his death would have felt for his followers as they were experiencing it in real time. But Jesus wasn't taken away permanently. Those of us who were in Christ, part of our hope and part of our faith is that Jesus rose from the grave three days later, even defeated death, defeated hell, like, like defeated sin for us and returned. Like the groom was taken away and then comes back victorious. So you got to ask us, like for Christians in the room, are we guests of a wedding or of a funeral? So in our relationship to the, of Christ and the way that we're supposed to behave and act, like the ways it's supposed to feel, are we guests of a wedding or guests of a funeral? Guess the wedding. There's this permanent connection between the groom of Christ and his church that we get to be a part of. And there's this joy and this hope and this peace and this celebration, this worship because he lives. We're not people who are trying to act religiously. We're, we're guests of the wedding. Jesus goes on to kind of help them get it, to help them understand it better. He keeps pushing a little bit and Verse 36, he says, all right, so I'll, 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 give you, I'll give you a parable. I'll help you out with this. He says, no one tears a piece from a new garment and goes and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. All right, like maybe if you've been around the Bible a little bit, like you're familiar with this passage, this is one of those ones that you're like, I kind of get it, you know, but I just want to help you out. All right, so this is, this is my workout shirt. Um, it's amazing. Okay, this is my favorite workout shirt. This uh, came from a, a beach camp that I preached. This is my workout shirt. Look at these armholes I cut in this thing. Look at the size of that. I can, had to cut them that big so my, my guns would fit out the side, you know. When I work out, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an experience for everyone. So had to have armholes that big uh, in there for them. So I literally do wear this. It's a really comfortable shirt. And so this is, it says bring his kingdom on the back of it with the guns, you know? So it's a, it's a good shirt. And so if I, if it says the Brooks students, which I don't, that's a church I don't even go to. So I don't care. All right. So this is my, this is my workout shirt. And if I said, you know what? I cut the armholes too big. I got a little too ambitious with the gains and, uh, it's not necessarily important to have armholes that big. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to fix it. 
Okay, I've got this button down here. I've got this button down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this sleeve. I'm going to rip this sleeve off, and I'm going to get Jessica and her sewing machine, and we're going to sew this sleeve onto this shirt. Is that going to work? That's what he's talking about. Like, listen, like, no one tears a piece from a new garment and sticks it on an old one. If he does, he's going to tear up the new one, and the piece from the new is not even going to match the old. You're going to end up with this ugly old stupid shirt that like, you're definitely not going to wear anymore. And you've destroyed the new one. You have to literally shred the new one to make up for something trying to miss in the old one. It's not going to fix it. Listen, for us, if we try to do this, if we try to say, all right, listen, I'm still going to act religiously. I'm still going to maintain my, my, my basis that if I can do enough right things, if I can act the right way, that, that, that's where my, my hope is actually going to be found. And I'm going to take a little bit of Jesus. I'm going to take a little bit of this Jesus loves me bit. I'm going to rip that off the gospel. And I'm going to stick it onto my old way of life, and it's going to be great. That's not how this works. We don't get to take a little bit of the gospel and shred that thing and paste it on our old way of life and say, okay, now it's just a little bit better. We're not, we're not amending who we used to be with a little bit of added Jesus. One, you're having to shred the gospel to make that happen, and that's, that's not effective. And it doesn't even match. You get, there's, there's, it's, there's an incompatibility there. Taking a part of Jesus' message and pasting it on your old way, uh, old way of life, it just it spoils the gospel, and it doesn't, help, it doesn't help your old way of life either. So like, if your worldview is that doing good things makes you a good person, Jesus is incompatible with that. Jesus is incompatible. You can't rip part of Jesus off, stick it onto your worldview that doing good things makes you a good person and God is pleased with you. You can't stick Jesus onto that. It's incompatible. If your worldview happens to be that fulfillment is found in you and your experiences and your like self-actualization, like if you can dig deep enough into who you are and find your true self in there and bring that to bear, like hope and salvation is found somewhere inside of you. You can't rip off a little bit of Jesus and stick that on a self-help kind of worldview. You can't do it. It doesn't work. It's incompatible. If achievement and success is your religion, if I can do enough things to achieve, I will be significant. Jesus is incompatible with that. That's not where our significance is found. The gospel says that all of us are sinners in need of forgiveness, that Christ died and rose to make forgiveness possible for us. And our only hope is giving up our old way of life and trusting fully in the person of Jesus. We don't get to shred a little bit of the gospel off. So what we hope in is that Jesus is the king who came to rescue. We're the rescued who respond to the king. We're not people who follow rules. We're not people who act a certain way. We're not behavior modification people. We're responding to the king who rescued us. Jesus keeps going in 37. He says, listen, I'll tell you, I'll give you another one. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does that, the new wine will burst the skins and it'll be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Listen, I didn't bring any wineskins. I don't own any of those. Um, I had to go look up like how this works. Okay, so if you ever had like a um, like a, a leather jacket, something like that, that gets old enough. I'm getting old enough that I can measure things in quarter of a century now. Uh, and so I've got some stuff like leather that's old. Okay, it's it's not soft anymore. It's not as pliable anymore. It's tight and you know it just doesn't stretch. Have any elasticity to it? All right, so a new wineskin had elasticity. And, and wine, as you would put it in these wineskins to hold it, it would continue to ferment, so it would expand, all right? And so as it expands, it's got to have some space to expand into. So you see a new wineskin that works, an old one, it's too hardened, it's too set in its ways to contain it. If you put new wine in there, it's going to explode. Both the skin and the wine are going to be wasted. 
All right, so um, I think all young men go through a phase where they get really interested in blowing things up. Is that fair? Okay, men in the room, did you have a phase where you're like, you know what? Blowing things up is the best thing that ever happened to me, right? My boys learned how to uh, light a Bic lighter last night at my in-law's house. So look out, world. Um, So, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. I remember I was in high school, and I was in the middle of this phase, and I was hard at it. I mean, anything that kind of lit on fire blew up, I was excited about. And so I was in high school. My buddy Grant, he leads worship here when Austin's not here sometimes. And so Grant and I, um, somehow we got a hold of some dry ice. I don't know where we got dry ice from. I don't know where you can get that. Uh, but if you don't know what dry ice is, I don't either. But um, you put it in water and it makes it like releases gas. It like smokiness. It's pretty awesome. And so I had some of that. And so we went and got like a dozen two liters and filled them up with water. And then we drove out to a parking lot. It's actually where the amphitheater is now. Um, there used to be, used to be a big parking lot. And uh, we went out in the parking lot and we set up a bunch of these two liters and we dropped a little bit of dry ice in each one of them and screwed all the caps on and ran. We thought it was going to be exciting. It was not. Nothing happened. Um, but they kind of looked like they were sort of swelling, you know, and I was like, I don't really want to go over there and check it, you know, and so we're kind of disappointed. We thought it was like Diet Coke and Mentos didn't exist yet. That wasn't, that didn't, we didn't have that back in the day. All right. We just had make it up as you go. And so we've got the, we've got the two liters, we've got the dry ice in there. Nothing's really happening. And then we're about to just give up. And then uh, one of these things goes off. And it sounded like somebody shot a shotgun like next to my ear. It was insanely loud. And it's just silent downtown. There's nothing going on. We're in a parking lot. We're right on the edge of downtown, right? One of these things goes off and just, I mean, it was terrifying. Like It like resonated in your chest. And then another one went and another one went. We're running from the car. Like We're going to the car. We're out of here. Like I don't want to hear the rest of them. There's no way somebody didn't call the cops, right? That is, there was something happening inside of there. We could not be contained. And then when it came out, it came out crazy. Our old way of life doesn't have the space. It doesn't have the elasticity. It can't, you can't add a little bit of Jesus into who you used to be and expect that to go well. That's not how that works. The change that Jesus will bring about in your life isn't going to fit inside of your old worldview or your old way of life, your old just patterns of life. He's going to radically and completely change who you are. You don't get to just pour a little bit of Jesus into who you used to be, and that's how this is going to work. I, I, I talk to a lot of people, and in my experience with culture, I think, is that, that the world thinks that Christianity is about just adding a little bit more uh, behaviorism, a little bit more self-righteousness, a little bit more rule-keeping into a normal existing life, and that Christians just kind of act a little differently. That is not what we're trying to do. You can't pour a little bit of Jesus into who you used to be, which is completely and radically different creation. The, G, the gospel is just incompatible with our pre-existing worldview. Jesus isn't interested in just seasoning, food coloring for your life. That's not, that's not how this works. It's a complete renewal. It's a new thing. Jesus knew that it wouldn't be easy for these religiously legalistic people he's talking to, including us, to, to do what he's saying, to give up all of the old and take on the new. So he continues. In verse 39, this is what he says. He says, and nobody... After drinking old wine, desires the new, for he says, the old is good. That's kind of an interesting verse when you think about it. It sounds like the old way of life is better. It didn't say better. He said that, that, that people that have tasted that old way, like there's something in them that it, it, it seems good. 
Seems good to the exclusion of the new to say, I don't know if I want any of that. I'm pretty happy with where I am. What Jesus is talking about is saying, is it about stagnancy? It's about complacency. It's about, I, I feel pretty good about my way of life. I think I'm doing a pretty good job with this. I think I've got it settled. I've, I've, I've overcome some of those, you know, things in my youth or whatever. I'm, I'm living a pretty solid life. I like, I like my patterns. I like the way I've got it built. I'm, I'm getting comfortable. There's some security here. I've got a plan and a pathway. I like it. This is good. And Jesus is trying to say, is like, I know that you think what you have is good, but there's something that I'm bringing that is so much better. It'll cost you everything that you think is good for something much better. All of us have a taste of our old ways. And those are really difficult to set aside sometimes. If you're a Christian in the room, sometimes those old ways uh, have a way of finding you. And there's a nostalgia to that. There's a comfort in that. There's a habit-forming behavior there sometimes that is really hard for us to shake. We know that those old ways that we've given up aren't worth it. But to fix it, to do anything about it, the way we respond is not in rule-keeping, is not in beating back our, our old desires. It's just responding to the person of Jesus. If you're wanting to see yourself overcome some sin in your life, it's not by your grit. It's not by your, your will. It's by responding to the person of Jesus. Legalism will not fix your problems with legalism. Respond to Jesus. If you're not a Christian yet, I, I get that your worldview, it feels good. It feels right. There's a comfort level in that, that you're maybe getting this thing figured out and you're doing your best. But I think there's always going to be this sense of exhaustion in trying to live up to a standard you know you're not going to hit. The way that you expect yourself to be, the way that you expect others around you to be, there's going to be an exhaustion point where you just can't hit these marks the way that you want to. And I will submit to you that the Lord knows that. The Lord knows that you're not going to be able to, to measure up to your standard or definitely not his. And so instead of following a bunch of rules, he's invited you to trust in them. And saying, Jesus is coming. He's died in your place. He's done all the work to take your sin upon himself. And he's like, listen, I'm not asking you to work harder and be better. I'm asking you to trust in me. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what Gray told you. Like, listen, I wanted to know him. I wanted my heart to be different. So I came to him. I trusted in him. And I'm trusting that he's going to save me. He's, he's changed me. That's what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean acting a little bit more righteous. So listen, if you're not a believer this morning, that's my invitation to you. Just this morning to, to lay down all that rule keeping, all those expe expectations on yourself and trust in Jesus. Like lean back into him and say, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to measure up. I, I need to be forgiven. I need you. And then respond as somebody who's been saved by the king. That's where that joy, that celebration comes. Listen, Christians in the room, Man, I love that question. Are we guests of a wedding or a funeral? And are you acting like it? You know? Like, I, I, I've been at weddings, and I've seen those people that I, they're the same place I'm at. They're the same party I'm at. They know, the, they know the bride and the groom the same way I do, and they do not seem like they're having the same fun I'm having. Are we guests of a wedding or a funeral? And are you acting like it? Is there a joy in you? Is there a contagiousness in you for the person of Jesus? Don't slip into that old self-righteous legalism. I just kind of look like you got it all together. We're people who are called to be joyfully, truthfully worshiping the Savior. So our, our Austin and Emily, they're going to come lead us in a time of response. And I just want to give you a moment to pray. I want to pray for you. And just let you just like think through some of these things. So if you would, as you join me in prayer. Uh, Father, um, I know for, God, for me, like, 
there's this, there's times when, when the, have this desire to respond to you relationally, but the, the rule keeping and the, all that just has this way of, of creeping back in. And somehow I buy this lie that if I'll just try hard enough, I'll overcome the things that I face. And God, you haven't invited me to do that. You haven't invited us to do that. You've invited us in the same way you invited Levi, just to come and follow you, to respond to you. You haven't asked us to act better. You've asked us to respond to, to you. And so God, that's my prayer for my friends this morning who are Christians. My prayer is that they be reminded of the, <laughs> the joy of knowing you and the significance of what you've done in their life and that loving relationship that they have with you. God, that you would remind them of that and that through that relationship with you that you would draw them back toward yourself out of some sin, out of some distance, out of some apathy. Help us respond to you. My, my prayer for my friends in the room who aren't Christians yet, who are still trying to carry the weight, they're trying to do the right thing and be good people, and they probably are. They're probably incredible people. But they're never going to hit their own standard. And they're never going to hit the standard of holiness. Your standard. So God, I pray. I pray that by your spirit that you would draw them to yourself that you do a work in them that would enable them to set aside everything that, that seems good for something that's so much better. I pray that today would be the day to trust your other Savior. God, we're guests of the wedding. Let's help us to worship like we're guests of the wedding. See your Sunday and pray.